0: And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Top Dog Talk, Talk podcast. I'm your host Harris Serino, alongside me, co-host Dan, Kylie, Dan. Thursday, not our usual day, but that's on me. I had some schedule adjustments I had to make, and we're here again this week. We didn't want to skip this week. We wanted to get this one in, and here we are, guys. Let's get right into the hot top. Well, first, whoa, hold your horses here, Dan. How's your week going, man? It's 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 a Thursday.
1: Man, it's it's uh, actually gone by really, really fast. I've been alone at work. Uh, one my assistant, my guy, uh, has been on vacation, so uh, it's been really, really busy. And the good thing about being really, really busy is time flies. So, uh yeah, it's been a quick week, man. It, it really has. And uh, the weekend's almost here. And for me, my weekends are busier than my weeks, so it is what it is.
0: Absolutely, Dan. Hey, let's get into the show. We got a action-packed show, uh, and that's not just us saying that. We don't say that every week because some shows are not as filled as this one we have a lot to cover in a little span of time uh plus dan both of us have to eat some dinner at some point tonight so let's get right on to it dan hot topic number one if you can add any player to George's roster in all of college football who would it be
1: so it was funny because uh we brought this up and we we thought we or you thought for sure we would have the same player and we both kind of said well Caleb Williams is off the table because I think most people would pick Caleb Williams. Um, But then I was like, well, there's actually a player that I would pick uh, even if Caleb Williams was available to me because I don't really feel like Georgia's biggest problem is quarterback. And I'm not saying that I would pick this person necessarily because Georgia has a problem. I'm picking this person because he's the best freaking player in college football, and that's Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, I remember when he got recruited to Ohio State, I thought – you know, just a son of a former player, you know, I'm not granted Hall of Fame player. um, But, you know, typically those guys don't pan out to be that spectacular. Way wrong. Marvin Harrison Jr. is unbelievably talented, unbelievable player. And I think any program in the country, I don't think, I know any program in the country would love to have him on their roster. And I'm not saying that Georgia would have to have him to be successful, but man, how awesome would that be to have a, a weapon like Marvin Harrison Jr. lining up outside uh, working, uh, you know, one half of the field with Brock Bowers? I mean, they would just open up so many opportunities. Um, again, there's only one football to go around, so you would have to figure out how to make that split. But I would love to freaking have Marvin Harrison Jr. on this football team.
0: Yeah, I mean, just with the size, he's just like. He's a walking mismatch. And, you know, we can say that for almost anybody his size. But, no, I mean, yeah, everyone says that for a guy his size at receiver. But, no, this dude's different. He, he has it. And I, I don't like throwing out the Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson comparisons. But when you watch them, I just remember watching Julio, Uh, you know, from – I was young back then. But you know, Julio's different. And you go back and watch Julio highlights from in his prime with the Falcons uh, – I just I, I think that's the type of football player Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. is going to be. But, Dan, I told Dan I didn't want to go with the same player uh, as he did. And we didn't want to go with Caleb Williams because that was too easy. So, Dan, I did a little digging here. And maybe it's not the popular answer. Or maybe it's just out of left field. We'll see. Dan, I'm going with Harold Perkins. Now, I was looking for an edge rusher, Dan. Uh, because I, I think that's probably, like, the one spot in Georgia's roster. Where like, what do they have? Like what's going on here? They don't have much experience at edge rushers. They have a lot of talent, as you can see from the recruiting rankings. Harold Perkins is that guy. I I, I can't wait to see this dude in his second season. Uh, he he flashed on tape his freshman year. Everybody knows his name now, uh, especially here uh, you know on the Georgia side of things. Really didn't have a tremendous game against Georgia, but I think a little bit of that was due to scheme and obviously playing some dudes up front uh, over here at Georgia. But Harold Perkins is that one guy where I think, man, if he was in Georgia's defense, I would love to see how they use them uh, because it would be hell on wheels up front on defense. Dan, hot topic. Number two, what's more probable Georgia has an a thousand yard rusher, a thousand yard receiver or multiple players respectively rusher or receiving uh, with 500 yards or more. So I, um, this was a
1: question that I, I was pondering in, yeah. You know, a lot of people are thinking that Brock Bowers is going to go over 1,000 yards, right? Um, Georgia has so many talented running backs, you would think that it wouldn't be that difficult for one of them to go over 1,000 yards. So most people would probably say that it's more likely that Georgia's going to have a 1,000-yard rusher or a 1,000-yard passer or uh, receiver. But I started to think about it, and that may be the the easy answer to go to, But if you have multiple players, multiple running backs with over 500 yards, if you have multiple receivers with over 500 yards, to me, that's a more productive team. That's a more productive roster. And I think that's 100% what's going to happen. I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe there's a shot that we get to a 1,000-yard rusher. uh, But the way that has to happen is you have to have guys have really big games. And Georgia, in my opinion, just doesn't give the running backs enough carries. Now, I mean, why receivers, you you would say it would be a lot easier because teams are throwing the ball more, but I mean, you have receivers who might go for 150 yards in one game, but they may not have, but what, 10, 20 yards in the next game. So it's, it's really weird. Um, so I, I don't know that Georgia has a thousand yard rusher or receiver, but I guarantee you they're going to have. I, 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 I'm I thinking there's a really good chance that Georgia has three running backs, Harrison, that go over 500 yards. And I don't think that's outlandish to say that. And I think there's a really good chance that Georgia has two to three guys go over 500 yards receiving. So, um, Rudes is saying that um, he thinks it's going to change with Bobo. Uh, clarify your, what you're saying, Rudes. you think they're going to run the heck out of it again? Is that what you're saying, Rudes? Because yeah, I think I, I think they're going to spread the love around. I think there's going to be a lot of guys with really good numbers, but nobody with spectacular numbers. What we'll say you, Harrison?
0: Dan, I, I had to go into the stat book because I I think I remember Jonathan Williams tweet about this. I may be wrong, but uh, so I had to go double check. Uh, Georgia had three 500 yard or more rushers last season. yet had Kenny McIntosh right? at 829, DeShawn Edwards at 769, and Kendall Milton at 592. So, yeah, I, I think you are spot on. I don't think it's Atlantis at all. I mean, they did it last year. Obviously, Ke- uh, Kenny McIntosh is not there. You bring back Dejan Edwards. You bring back Kendall Milton. You got uh, Branson Robinson, who got only 68 carries last year, had 330 yards. That's going to be the next guy up. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's Atlantis at all. Your guys, Savon Clark, who you know announced he's returning to Georgia instead of transferring away, he's back. Hopefully, we'll see a little bit more of him this year because I know that's Dan's guy. Uh Dan can give you the story about how he uh, how he's come to like Savon Clark as a player and as a person. Uh, we'll go into that at some point later. But also, Dan, I, I was looking at receiving stats here. Uh, Georgia had three guys also over 500 yards or more. You had Brock Bowers at 942, Lab McConkie at 762, and Kenny McIntosh at 504. God, Kenny McIntosh had a hell of a season. Uh you know, I don't want to go with the same pick as you because I, I, I think you're right. I think it's more probable. It's probably better for your offense to have multiple guys putting up production, putting up the stats. Uh, but I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Dan. I think Georgia probably gets his first 1,000-yard receiver this year. I don't know who. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know where it's going to be or how it's going to happen. Uh, but I, I, I think it's due. Uh, I thought Brock Bowers was going to be the guy this past year. Obviously, he was, you know, 58 yards short of a passing uh, 1,000 yards and still – he would be a tight end. They say, oh, no, 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 he was a tight end, doesn't count. But, yeah, I, I think Georgia's going to get their first 1,000-yard receiver on the team this year. Whether it's Brock Bowers, whether or not we count it, we'll see. Uh, but don't count out Lab McConkey. Ladd McConkey, uh, it, it, you know, when he stayed healthy and when he was on the field, had a really good season for Georgia. Had six, seven, 762 yards, seven touchdowns. He, he's, in my opinion, Dan, uh, maybe not from a – depth chart standpoint, but he's probably number one. You're number one at receiver in the sense that, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of trust in him aside from Bach Bowers. He's number one for you, but obviously he's not going to play that X receiver position.
1: I like that nickname, Bad Lad. (laughs) I like that, Ruth. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh. Why am I on the screen by myself?
0: Don't put that card under
1: me. Dan's oh. rant. <laughs> all right, here we go.
0: Dan's getting distracted.
1: <laughs> I am getting distracted. I'm sorry. It's been I had a lot to do today. All right, so my rant is uh, this was spurred on by the Braves sleepwalking their ass out to Oakland and getting mollywopped by the worst team in professional baseball. And I know we're prone to hyperbole, but that's not what this is. You have the team who has the worst batting average in all of baseball. You have a team that has the worst ERA in baseball. You have a team going into that series, Harrison, whose starting pitcher had not won a game all year. Wrap your brain around that. No starting pitcher for the Oakland A's had a win under the win-loss column. Six out of the 10 wins that they had, they won on their last at bat. So that means six out of the 10 wins they had, they were losing into the bottom of the ninth. And then they won four other games. So basically, out of all the games that they played, there was only four where they were ahead going into the last inning. Oh, so Atlanta decides to fly out there. Now, listen. I kind of give them a little bit of a pass for the first game because they didn't arrive in Oakland until almost seven o'clock in the morning on the day of the game. And then it's a West coast game. So your body's all whacked out, but you know, it's only a little bit of an excuse because you're flying first class. I mean, like it's not even like a commercial airline you're flying uh, in luxurious conditions and you know, you have everything you need. I, I don't know. Like I just, it's just so frustrating, but you know, the Braves have been losing to bad teams and they have a history of doing that, but then let's extrapolate it out to other sports. This is not uncommon. And, you know, one of the, I don't remember what coach it was. I don't know. Hell, I don't even remember what sport it was. It might've been baseball or whatever, but, um, there was a coach who says, um, good teams make a living beating up on bad teams. That's, you know, and, and, and if you think about that, extrapolate that out, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, Typically, in your schedule, you're going to play more bad teams than you are good teams, right? So be the teams you're supposed to beat and then play the best that you can against the teams that, you know, it's equal talent. And, you know, we've seen that in the past. Now, I will say that Kirby and his entire coaching staff have done a great job of uh, changing the mindset at the University of Georgia. But how many times under Rick did we see <laughs> – yeah, extrapolate. Sorry. it's It's like one of those hot words. I can't tell you why. Um, but how many times did we see under the Mark Richter where Georgia would play over their skis, beat a team that, you know, we were really hyped up about beating, in the next week, they would sleepwalk into a game against a bad opponent and then lose the game. I mean, Harrison brought up South Carolina. Um, but there were other ones. I think we lost to Vanderbilt one time. I think we lost to Kentucky, uh, teams that we should have never lost to, but we just did. Um, I, I don't know what the reason for it is. Uh, I, well, I mean, I guess I do. The reason would be that you just have so much talent, you think you can just roll the ball out there and win. And you see a lot with kids, especially high school. Um, like there's an old saying, um, teenagers are going to teenage. And um, that's a 100% a thing where it is really hard to motivate a teenager. Uh, yes, complacency route. 100% is the word I'm looking for. Uh, just like you just have super talented kids and they see uh, like, especially like in the AAU culture, right? You go to a tournament and you're warming up and you look across the court and you're looking at your kid's team and then you look at the other kid's team and you're like, dude, that is a wreck team. That team is so bad. There's no reason that they should be out here. And then at halftime, it's a two-point game. And, you know, the only reason it's a two-point game is because your kids are not taking it seriously. And, you know, the one thing that I was, always tell my kids is that, yeah, you know, nobody told them that this wasn't a game, right? So they're here to play as hard as they can. And, you know, when they go to tell their friends that they beat your team, like you're supposed to be a legit team and they beat you, like that's like a thump your chest moment. So, you know, Georgia walks into Vanderbilt and, you know, like what if Georgia beats Vanderbilt? So what they beat them, right? They're supposed to. But if Vanderbilt beats Georgia, that is a national story. So they have something to play for. And I, I know I, I, I say all this in my rant to say that I'm, I'm really grateful for this coaching staff at the University of Georgia because they have really done a great job of eliminating that for the most part. It will rear its ugly head every so often like Kent State game. That should have not been the game that it was. But that was uh, you know, in the Missouri game. Um, but for the most part, Kirby's done a, a good job of, of winning those games right where we were losing in the past. And it just that came up in my mind. And that's why I wanted to do the rant because the Braves just absolutely pissed me off going to Oakland and just pissing down their leg. Um, and But then to, to roll this around to a positive Dan rant, uh, it also got me to thinking how grateful I am that uh, this current Georgia coaching staff has eliminated those losses uh, knock on wood. Uh, Cause I don't want one of those to happen this year. Um, but if, if you're a Georgia fan and you've watched this team through the years, how many times did we lose games we should have never lost? And uh, thank God this coaching staff has eliminated that, at least for the time being. So I could have gotten a lot angrier, but I didn't. Um, but, God, the Braves just pissed me off. <laughs>
0: Hey, we're, we're going to pray that Dan's here if Georgia drops another game uh, like that South Carolina game. We're going to pray that dance here on a Wednesday or a Monday. whenever day Whatever day we're doing the show, we're going to pray that dance here and it's live for the show because, boy, I know this, notifications of the group chat are off the moment. That clock strikes zero. Uh, Dan, let's transition into uh, – Look, I'm just
1: going to be honest with you. If that's the case, you and uh, Jonathan and Jeremiah are going to mute my ass and go to your own little <laughs> private chat. They have this little private chat where they talk with each other and don't include me, and that's what they're going to do on those days.
0: Uh, Dan, let's transition into a more positive subject. And, honestly, that wasn't – that Dan wasn't as angry as he was maybe the other night about that uh, dance ran of the week. But, Dan, let's talk about what's changed at Georgia because a lot has changed at Georgia. Uh, Something that we haven't ever talked about really, uh, maybe we've mentioned in brief passing, is – How Georgia has changed since Kirby Smart's come in here. Obviously, he got the facilities upgraded, the stadium upgrades, the recruiting budget, everything he wanted, he's gotten at Georgia. Uh, And it's a big reason why, when you tell the story of Kirby Smart's tenure at Georgia, of why he's successful, why they're doing the, uh, the things the way they are, why he's able to come out here and say, No, I don't want to go play Florida down in Jacksonville. I want it at home. And why it makes, you know, why it holds so much value in like, this isn't just him talking like, you know, if he wants something, he's going to get it. And the the question is that we brought up uh, privately and that we're gonna talk about here, you know, and, and kind of segue into it is when is something like this going to happen for the other sports of Georgia? Because Georgia just fired their baseball coach last week. Newsflash. If you haven't been on social media, Georgia's looking for a baseball coach. And we've talked about it. Uh, yes, Georgia's baseball is not as good as it should be. Uh, Georgia baseball should probably be a top five program in the SEC year in and year out, but they have not been that uh, consistently. I, I, I can't – I mean, maybe 2020. If 2020 played out the way that many thought it would, Scott Strickland would probably still be at Georgia. Uh, but that's that's not the way it is. So, Dan, I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on the whole situation. Uh, and, and, you know, well, I mean, what what are you thinking, Dan? What is, can Dan Kylie think about the state of Georgia's, you know, athletic programs?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I, I I noticed was whenever they were gonna let Mark Richt go, I, I remember the narrative around all that was who are you gonna get that's better? Right. And and you have to give Mark Richt a lot of credit because he 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 aroused something in Georgia fans that hadn't been really awake for a long time, which is that competitive juice, and he showed Georgia how good we could be again. Now I think you have to give Margaret even more credit because he did that without very much support from the administration. And Jeremy Pruitt should get a lot of credit for this current run that George is on because Jeremy Pruitt is the one that took the stick and hit the hornet's nest. I mean, he was dismissed because he wasn't liked in that building by the administration because he pissed a lot of people off. And he pissed a lot of people off because he started pointing the finger at the boosters in the administration saying, you're the reason that we're not winning. Not the guys in the building, it's you. He said, because look right down the street. Look what Alabama has. Look at everything Alabama gets. Look at the money Alabama spends. Look at the stuff that Alabama does. You're not doing that. You're not serious about winning. So when Kirby was being interviewed for the job or being discussed for the job, one of the first things he did was he said, I, if I take this job, I want everything. Everything I ask for, everything I need. He's like, these are the things I got to have to win. And Georgia went all in. And this is the conversation that Harrison and I had. is, And this, this conversation really evolved to the point that we're going to get to right here. Is that for the first time, Georgia's administration vowed to go all in. And then moreover they followed through and they are delivering on the promises that they made to Kirby smart and his coaching staff. When they took this job is that they were going to have everything they needed to be successful. And in turn, Kirby has delivered excellence. That's what he's delivered. He said, if you give me what I need, I will deliver excellence. So then that led Harrison and I to the question. At what point does Georgia go all in for the other sports at the at the school and and I made a comment to Harrison and I'll let him kind of talk about whether he agrees with it or not is I think that the University of Georgia should be a top 5 program in every single sport in the SEC. Now I'm not talking about nationally. I'm not saying we should be top 5 in every sport in the nation. I, that would be incredibly difficult to do. Um that would take a lot. I mean that would just be incredibly difficult to do, right? I mean, you can't be great at everything. But the sec has how many teams in the sec Harrison? I'm, my brain just Only went blank. up to 16 now. Okay. So there's 16 teams in the sec. Sorry. I went blank. I was going to say 13 and I don't know why. Um, so there's 16 teams. And I, to say that Georgia should be top five out of 16 in every pro in every sport, I don't think is ridiculous. Right. I mean, that's, I think that should be the, the floor, not the ceiling, the floor. And, um, Look, the amount of money and revenue that, that football creates, and and the amount of public you know publicity that it gets, and all that stuff, you know, the, the money's there. The money exists. You don't have to sit on the coffers and, and hold on to that money for a rainy day. Because, it, you know, if Kirby, uh, God's honest truth, if Kirby went to the AJC tomorrow, or if hell, if he just went on a, a podcast tomorrow and said, "I need hundred million dollars," uh, I want. Uh, a Kirby pad, um, a chopper pad built behind my thing in a new chopper. Um, And if you do this for me, uh, we're going to win two more national championships. That would be fully funded in a week, a hundred percent. And I'm not even joking. That would be fully funded within a week. If you, I mean, I'm not saying he would do that, but you get my point. So the money's going to be there. And you know, with baseball, basketball, we have seen other schools, because Harrison said something in our conversation that um, he didn't think that Georgia would be able to support multiple programs like that at a really, really high level. But we've seen Florida do it. Florida had arguably the best football team in the country and the best basketball team in the country and one of the best baseball teams in the country all simultaneously. It can be done. And that, and that, that run went for about 10 years. So that, that was not a short sample size. It can be done um alabama has had arguably one of the best women's softball programs in the country for 10 to 15 years florida state has had one of the best softball teams in the country 10 to 15 years um florida state was always competitive in basketball they're competitive in men's baseball always have been and football i mean it can be done so i know we're saying a lot but um it is time for georgia to step up in a lot of these other sports the money's there the talent in the state is here I think they've been hiring some pretty decent coaches. They just don't have the support.
0: Yeah, and I just looked it up, Dan, because I was I was curious. Not the pocket watch here, but Georgia just posted a 34 million, Georgia Athletics posted a 34 million surplus from 2022. 34 million. So there is money to be spent, uh, most definitely. Now, obviously, football gets a sizable majority, I would assume, of their budget year to year. Makes sense. You know why, because it also brings in the most money. Uh but yeah like like Dan said earlier Georgia should be competitive in every sport uh especially the major sports like baseball softball basketball uh football they should be competitive uh and it's all it's coming down to whether or not they have the facilities to do it there's no reason why Georgia should have the worst facilities in the SEC in baseball and basketball there's no reason for that uh so at some point the comment I made was at some point you know, Georgia, as, as an athletic association, or uh, you know, or as a basically an organization, gonna have to look themselves in the mirror and say, "Hey, what are we not doing to support these coaches?" And I'm not saying you know it's their fault right now. Obviously, I think they're starting to show commitment. They've already sent out some projects to improve the facilities for baseball, track and field, basketball, uh, while continuing their football improvements. They're already showing some commitment there, but uh, you know, we th- they need more. Uh, and I think that's probably the next level for Georgia sports as a whole. Dan, that's a great segue into some breaking news here. And really not breaking anymore. It's probably about an hour ago this broke. Uh, the SEC sc- uh, scheduling format has been decided uh, for at least the 2024 season. Seth Emerson of the Athletic uh, tweeted out uh, earlier this evening that the SEC approved of an eight-game conference schedule for the 2024 season. Obviously, that is the beginning of when... First full year that Texas and Oklahoma will be fully-fledged members in the conference. Uh, Dan, here's the caveat here. Obviously, there's a big debate between nine-game, eight-game conference schedule and all that. Kirby Smart called it the most overhyped conversation this offseason in the SEC. Caveat is, every team in the SEC must play at least one Power Five non-conference opponent. Now, obviously, for Georgia, that's easy. You have Georgia Tech on the schedule already. Um, some, some rival fans will claim foul. Like that doesn't count. Uh, but it does. So Dan, I mean, let's get your immediate thoughts on this. I I know I texted to you in the group chat. Um, what are your thoughts on this off rip?
1: I'm, I mean, to me, this is exactly what I said in the car. This is the SEC, not wanting the coaches in the programs, of the SEC, not wanting to give up control, Of a home game every year. And, you know, that's what this whole argument comes down to is if you you, right now you're scheduling four games. Right. And, you know, if you if you lose that, like if you schedule. If you so, we'll just use University of Georgia's example. Right. So if you Ohio if you schedule Ohio State. Right. That game is going to be home and home, meaning you're going to play one here, one there. Right. Right. So you're giving up a home game. But if you if you were to schedule uh, I don't know, um Furman or you said power.
0: I think we may have lost Dan. Um so many in the comments let me know. Hello? I think we lost Dan for a second there. You hear me, Dan? I think we lost Dan. I'm gonna let Dan do what he needs to do until uh, he's back. But yeah, kind of continue off Dan's point. Uh, you know, I'm pulling up Georgia's schedule here. Here's Georgia's schedule for the 2022 season. We've uh, people have been over this. Uh, people seen it. It's all over social media at, the, at, at this point. Uh, Georgia's 2023 schedule from a Power Five perspective not great. Uh, outside of the SEC, you're playing UT Martin, Ball State, UAB and Georgia Tech. That's your non-conference slate. Not great. Not any big matchup like, say, Oregon or, or Oklahoma. Now, this is not Georgia's fault because they had to cancel their Oklahoma game uh, due to them moving to the SEC. Not really their fault there. Uh, so that's that's what you're getting this year. But we go look into the future. 2024, uh, Georgia opens with Clemson. So there you go. That's that's already a big game right there, a big non-conference game. You're opening the season with Clemson, uh, and then obviously you're going to end the season with, Georgia Tech uh, looks like Georgia. I wonder if this will change. I haven't looked at the 2024 schedule till today. Uh, conference slate wise, and scheduled to play Georgia in 2024 at Kyle Field. Uh, we'll be very interested to see if that schedule holds. Uh, obviously, because you're going to get a new uh, schedule. Come the June 14th is when they will release the new schedule uh, heading into 2025. I don't know if they have this UCLA. So yeah, Georgia looks set so far. Uh, From a non-conference power five perspective, you're going to have Georgia Tech, you're going to have Clemson, you're going to have UCLA. Man, is that going to be a game at the Rose Bowl? Uh, Some some good memories there uh, from a Georgia perspective. Dan is back. Dan, how's it going?
1: I don't know. I have no idea what you heard, what you didn't hear. Um, I hope you, I hope you um, did a great job on that.
0: (laughs) I filibustered. I filibustered, Dan. Uh, I, I was just looking ahead, uh, screen-sharing-wise. Dan, I didn't realize, but Georgia opens the season with Clemson and then UCLA for the next two seasons. And at UCLA games in Pasadena, buddy. I mean, we're talking about from a non-conference perspective of Georgia. It's, I, and then I go to the next year, uh, it's a home-and-home home with UCLA. You play them at UCLA in 25, at Sanford Stadium in 26. You play Louisville in 26. Dan, Dan I, Georgia's going to have no problem filling this. They obviously won't. And then you're playing Florida State the next year. Yeah, Georgia's – I'm looking at this non-conference slate. Georgia's schedule is going to be a fun one. We have a when lot – When did they play of, Ohio State? They play Ohio State, I want to say sometime in the 2030s. So I'm looking through as we speak. I want it, I know a few years ago, Dan, that got canceled uh, for whatever reason. Back in 2012, uh, it got canceled. I think it was due to take place in 20 sometime early uh, in this decade, got canceled. They play Ohio State at home in 2020, uh, 2030, and then I believe they return the trip 2031. Uh, so All I got to cool. say is
1: 2031 is going to be a road
0: trip. <laughs> that's I mean, that's going to be a fun one, Dan. I, I can't wait uh, to see them go to Pasadena and play UCLA in the Rose Bowl again. Road you know, trip. That's going to be an awesome one. Uh, I I, yeah, I don't think it's, to me, Dan, I don't have a preference. Uh, but like you said, I see why you explained it very clearly, why these schools have a problem with it. Because like you said, it's it's schedule control. You're losing a home game every other year. And if I read the report correctly, I don't know. I want to say it was CBS, but I may be wrong. It was a screenshot, no accreditation to it. Georgia was on board with a nine-game schedule, but not many others were um, for whatever reason. Because Georgia doesn't
1: need that money.
0: No, they don't. But what's surprising to me, Dan, is, okay, so they're on board with the losing the home game every other year there, but they're not on – at least Kirby Smart's not on board with the Georgia-Florida being neutral site in Jacksonville. And we've been over that at length. So I'm curious to see, you know, is this within mind of – in the mind of, hey, we're going to convert Georgia-Florida into a home-and-home? So it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, or are we going to say, okay, we're just going to lose two home games every year?
1: Well, I, I don't know, but I know that there is a, um, I think it was you, wasn't it you, who told me that they're about to do some work down on Jacksonville Stadium. So uh, in the next couple of years, that game's coming to campus anyway.
0: Yeah, so- and that's going to be electric. That is going to be electric, Dan. Hey, and it may even be prime time, baby, because no CBS 330 kickoffs anymore at that point. I believe it's set for 25 and 26 or 25 and 24 uh, is when that report was. I got to double check. I don't know if that's confirmed, but I did see something about it that it was rumored they're going to be doing construction. So Georgia, Florida would be moved home to a home and home for, I guess, two seasons. And hey, they did that back in the 90s, Dan. Um, I wasn't alive back then, but you were. Uh, so maybe ooh, you can to what that was like. Uh, yeah, not, it actually, was not fun. It was not fun?
1: It was not fun. Go. Did you not know the story about that?
0: I, I mean, I know vaguely of it, but what, what, what was up? Steve Springer uh,
1: came here into Athens, and it was his goal to embarrass us as uh, badly as possible, and he was going for it at the end of the game. And they asked him why he went for two or whatever, and he said, because I couldn't go for three. <laughs> i mean like it was uh i don't even remember what the score was and i don't know if we have anybody watching but it, if we do tell me what the score is but it wasn't good I, I remember that was an ass kicking um uh, but i think you know it's a good test run for what that game is going to look like in this current climate uh of college football on the home campus and i think that when they see it uh, and they see the way that their fan base reacts to it I think there's going to be a lot more emphasis on keeping that game on campus. So, um, you know, it's like one of the things that they always say, um, you know, don't, you know, in, in a scenario, don't let somebody know how good it is. Like if, if a person doesn't know how good something is, they won't know they're missing it. Right. So I think it's one of those things that like, don't let that game end up on campus one time. Cause if you do, people are going to see how great it is on campus and then it's never, never going to go back.
0: back. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And, you know, I know in that post-game press conference when it's in Athens, I know for sure Kirby's going to make a comment about it. I would bet money that he makes a comment like, hey, I want this every other year, um, which would be electric. I I can't wait for that. Georgia's schedule over the next 10 years uh, makes up for the lackluster uh, schedule they have this year. And then, like I said, when Dan was gone, it's not Georgia's fault. Uh, You know, the SC had to cancel the Oklahoma uh game this year due to not being able to promise that you'd be able to make up the return trip. So they see rather than having that played and, you know, potentially Georgia going to Norman two years in a row, they said, no, we're going to wait until they're here. And then we're going to do a home and home series the way we do it. But guys real quick, before we end the show did want to say, make sure you like, and subscribe on the video. I don't do a great job at that. Uh, so I want to get that in there. I actually changed some settings, uh, for the live co- chat. So for new viewers, um, if you're not subscribed, make sure to subscribe to the channel. Then you can join us in the live chat. Join us in on the fun. Uh, you don't have to be subscribed for however many minutes, it said. Any duration, you can subscribe one second, put a comment in, uh, put a live chat in right there on the spot. You don't have to wait uh, a couple days like other channels make you. So with that being said, episode 88 of the Top, Hot Podcast, that's Dan Kylie. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at dankylie3. Did I remember that correctly? I did. Yep. Uh, follow me at Harrison Reno. We'll be back next Wednesday with another edition of the Top of the Talk podcast. Guys, good episode of the day. Uh, a lot to cover. And hopefully we have something similar next week. Go dogs.